for a few weeks now, I've been talking and sharing messages specifically with the goal as we come up to Easter with being with Jesus. Uh, a few weeks ago, I talked about being with Jesus on the mountain. And who does what Christian doesn't love a mountaintop experience with the Lord? We all lo- like those, but we also discussed we're not meant to live there. Because while those are wonderful experiences, the people we're called to minister to aren't on the mountain. They're in the valley. And that's where God needs us to be. And then last week, we looked at being with Jesus in the wilderness. I think that's something all of us can relate to, having had wilderness experiences, seasons in our lives when it just seemed that you felt more alone than, than say, at other times. And we talked about... Uh, the writer to the Hebrews admonition in Hebrews chapter 12, looking unto Jesus, not looking to the left or to the right, not looking to a a country or, or, or a government, but looking unto Jesus in those times. Today, I want to talk about being with Jesus at the well as we go through a very familiar story, the encounter that Jesus had with a woman at a Samaritan well. Gospel according to John chapter 4. I'll begin reading in verse number uh, 5. So he came to a city of Samaria, which is called Sychar, near the plot of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. Now Jacob's well was there. Jesus, therefore, being wearied from his journey, sat thus by the well. And it was about the sixth hour. A woman of Samaria came to draw water. Jesus said to her, give me drink, for his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Let's stop there. We'll pick it up again in a moment. The preceding verses to this chapter mention that Jesus was leaving Judea, which would have been in the southern part of that area, going to Galilee, which would have been in the northern part of that uh, region. And it says, but he needed to go through Samaria. We need to understand, for a Jew of that time, those words were never spoken. They would never say, I need to go through Samaria. In fact, they would avoid Samaria at all costs. There was a major rift between the Jews and the Samaritans going back to when the northern kingdom was in bondage. And many of the Jews, when the bondage ended, although they came back to Jerusalem, some stayed and intermarried. And the Jewish people never kind of let the Samaritans forget that. Ever have someone never let you forget something? But G- and so the Jews looked down on the Samaritans, looked at them as kind of second class, as kind of caving in to taking the gospel or taking the law and the prophets and combining it with other teachings and other ways of worship. But Jesus said he needed to go through Samaria. Now, he could have gone around Samaria, as just about any other Jew would have done. But that would have doubled and in some cases tripled the journey. But this wasn't just a desire to be convenient or a nice idea. As we're going to see, he knew there was somebody he needed to talk to. He knew there was somebody he needed to meet and speak with. 
we know from our own lives that Jesus has a way of getting through to us. He has a way no matter how far we've run, no matter how far we've gone away, no matter what obstacles we've put up, Jesus has a way of getting through. When he wants your attention, trust me, he'll get it. When he wants you to sit still, like I found out the days following Christmas Day with almost two weeks of COVID, when he wants your attention, he's going to get your attention. When he desires to meet with us, it happens. Now, we're grateful for that when it comes into our lives, but this can be an encouragement to us for all those in our lives, our loved ones, our children, our family members who have either not come to the Lord or have strayed away. When God wants to get their attention, beloved, God will meet them right where they are. We can have the same confidence in his ability to reach other people. But pastor, they've strayed far away. They've not gotten out of God's reach. To those we're praying for, unsaved loved ones, those who have strayed from the faith, Jesus will find them. He will rearrange heaven and earth and meet them. This well was a life crossroads moment for the woman that we're about to encounter. All of us have had moments like that where we've probably had more than one where Jesus met us and it wasn't just a casual meeting, but it was a crossroads moment. It was the sixth hour, the scripture says. Now that's shorthand for it was high noon. Now nobody, absolutely nobody in that part of Palestine went to the well to draw water at noon. They would go to the well to draw water in the morning when the sun was lowest in the sky, so it was the coolest. Because at noon, it was the hottest. So the best way to avoid the heat was to go early in the day. But also, the women of that village would come together early in the day. It was not just to avoid the heat, it was also to connect with one another. It became this massive social interaction to be able to get together. And what is clear is that this woman is trying to avoid all of those interactions. John chapter 4, let's pick it up again in verse number 9. Then the woman of Samaria said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask a drink from me, a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God and who it was who says to you, Give me drink, you would have asked him, and he would have given you living water. She comments on how the Jews avoid all interactions, all contact with Samaritans. But the deeper reality is that she was at a place in her life where it wasn't just Jews who were avoiding contact with her. It was other people in her own village who were avoiding contact with her. And given the separation socially of men and women, it was other Samaritan women who had no dealings with her. Hence, the best place for her and the best time for her to go to that well would have been noon. Her life was a dead-end street. Ever felt that way? Ever felt like it just, no matter what I do, it's a dead end no matter where I go. 
no purpose, no direction, no meaning. Just kind of going through motions. And people in our culture try to fill these voids and fill this emptiness with almost everything. I would have said they'll try everything, except they don't try the one thing that will satisfy their thirst and bring purpose and direction to their lives. But Jesus didn't want to just give her water. He wanted to give her living water. Only Jesus can bring true meaning to life. Only Jesus can give us lasting purpose for our days. Only Jesus can give us life, not just existence. Trying anything else will fail. Trying anything else will come up short. Trying to belong to a, a group while interaction with people is wonderful. We need to look to Jesus. Well, I'm going to try this, and I'm going to try that relationship, and I'm going to try those people, and I'm going to try this medication. We need to come to Jesus. You know the verse from John chapter 14, verse number 6. Jesus said to him, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. No one comes to the Father except by me. Jesus is not just the way. He's not just the best way. Jesus is the only way. And he's the only way to life, to the fulfillment of life. Life only has true meaning when lived in Jesus, when lived in his service, when lived as every day being an act of worship. Let's pick this up again, this story in verse number 11 of John chapter 4. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw with, and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob, who gave us the well and drank from it himself, and well as his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered and said to her, whoever drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I shall give him will never thirst again, but the water that I shall give him will become a fountain of water, springing up to everlasting life. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Jesus knew this woman's life. He knew the loss she had experienced. Now, if you go through the rest of the story, he begins to make it clear to her he's not just any other guy standing by a, a, a well looking for water. She even comments she must be a prophet. He mentions that She's had five previous husbands, and to understand the culture there, women had absolutely zero power in Palestine of this day. So for her to have five husbands previously, a woman would have never had the ability to divorce her husband. So either her husband would have divorced her, or they passed away. And then he mentions, you've had five husbands, but the one you're with now, he's not your husband. He's basically laying out her entire life before her, and making it clear why she would have avoided coming to the well early in the day. Now, we're not given any details about what happened to these five husbands, but regardless, we know they're gone. So this was a woman familiar with loss. And probably her greatest loss, given that she's coming to the well at noon, is any sense of self-esteem and how she looked at herself. 
And here she's trying to avoid people. She's trying her best to avoid being seen, to avoid interacting with anybody. And here's Jesus just kind of messing all of it up. Don't you love when Jesus just kind of messes up your plans to avoid people and avoid everything? And you want to be by yourself and you don't want to talk to anybody. And Jesus says, sorry, I'm going to mess things up. The nerve that he has. He's tr she's trying to avoid anything. She's trying to avoid people who had become extremely skilled and practiced at looking down on her. And she intentionally chose this time of day because she knew nobody would be there. But then there's this guy. And besides just being some guy, he's a Jew. Which extends the looking down on her even further. So now on top of her fellow Samaritans looking down on her, there is this Jewish man who would do so as well. Because Jews didn't talk to Samaritans. Samaritans didn't talk to women in her situation. And men didn't talk to women. So she was kind of striking out all over the place. And on top of all that, he says to her, give me a drink. I'm thirsty. Church, there isn't any situation that Jesus can't break through. There isn't any bias, any cultural setting. There isn't anything Jesus can't break through. But, Pastor, we don't mix over there. They're not just kind of the way we do things. When Jesus wants to break through, it doesn't matter how the world is structured. It doesn't matter how society does things. When Jesus wants to, it's going to happen. Jesus wanted some water. He also wanted to give her life. He wanted her to know that she was not worthless. He wanted her to know that she was not an outcast, at least not in his eyes. And he wanted her to know that she was welcomed in his sight. Ever been in a group of people and you just felt like people there didn't want you? And yet they'll say, oh, I'm glad you're here. And you could just hear in your own head your mind saying, liar. You're not glad I'm here. But because you have manners, you don't say liar out loud. Maybe some of you do say liar out loud. He wanted her to know she was worth talking to. She was worth having a conversation with. And he wants each of us to know the same things. It doesn't matter what anybody thinks about me. It doesn't matter what I've done. It doesn't matter the mistakes I've made in life. It doesn't matter where I've been. Jesus wants to talk to me. And he wants to talk to all of us. And he wants to walk with me. Jesus wants to be with you. Just to be with you question becomes do we want to be with him do we want to be with him now some people might think 
they're beyond God's reach. They might think they're beyond God's power. And even probably more critical, they might think they're beyond God's desire. There's a biblical term for all of that thinking. Lies. All lies. You are not helpless. And as long as Jesus is Lord, which is going to be forever, you are not hopeless. You are precious and you are desired in the sight of of almighty God, the God of all creation. He wants to be with you. Now, back in January, one of the Sundays we had a, well, on a Saturday, we had this major snowstorm. So what I had to do was set up quickly, and we had church via Zoom. But most of the people who were here weren't able to attend. And one of the scriptures I shared in that Zoom service was from Mark chapter 3, verses 13, 14, and 15. And he went up on the mountain and called to him those he himself wanted. And they came to him, and there he appointed twelve, that they might be with him, and that he might send them out to preach, and to have power to heal sickness, and to cast out demons. So this scripture is Mark's telling of Jesus calling the twelve disciples. And he records three reasons. I'm sure there were many other reasons, but Mark records three reasons why Jesus called the disciples. And as a Pentecostal church, we love reasons two and three. We love, he called us to preach. Hallelujah. Give me a microphone and a room full of people. Even give me a microphone and an empty building and a camera and I'll preach. We love the preaching of God's word especially when it's preached with conviction and with boldness. And what Pentecostal doesn't like the idea of healing sickness and casting out demons? We like the idea and we know the truth that God is greater than any sickness. He's greater than any demon. He's greater than any stronghold in your life or in mine. But those are reasons as far as the way they're listed, two and three. The first reason that's given is simply he called them to be with him. That's it. To be with him. Verse 14 says, yes, we're called to good works. We're called to preach the gospel. We're called to to get in the enemy's face and cast him down. We're called to be witnesses of his grace and his power. And we're called as disciples to be about our father's business. But the first thing we're called to do, and perhaps the most important thing we're called to do, is just to be with him. This is Jesus saying he called them to be with him. Essentially, Jesus called the 12, first and foremost, because he wanted friends. Now, most know the rest of the story. Back in John chapter 4, he talks to her about worship and how the Jews worship in Jerusalem, but our fathers worship on this mountain and at this well. And she comments that the Jews believe you can only worship one place. It's got to be in Jerusalem. And the Samaritans had developed a theology that they were going to worship on the mountain where this land from Jacob had given to his son Joseph was. And everybody was wrong. 
Because everybody was fixed that you only can worship Jesus in one physical place or worship God in one physical place. But he mentions to her, but God is a spirit. He's not a location. He's not a building. I love this building, and this building is sacred, but this building is not God. I love when God's people get together, but we need to go, know that when we worship, we must worship him in spirit and in truth. He talks to her about worship, and he opens her eyes to a deeper truth. Down in that passage in John 4, verse 23. But the hour is coming and now is when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such to worship him because God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. True worship is not a place. True worship is not a spot. I've traveled to some countries where worship was a tent. I'll never forget when the last time I was in Zimbabwe. And I was with a team and they had assigned us to different churches, the pastors that had come on that trip to preach in different churches throughout that part of Zimbabwe. And the pastor of the church I was going to speak at, he picked me up and we were driving to his church and for some reason, he seemed apologetic. He, he was apologizing to me. And I go, what are you apologizing for? Well, because there are so many large churches throughout Zimbabwe, and the church I'm bringing you to is kind of a small church. You, go, you don't have to apologize for a small church if he only knew. Some of the small churches we have here in America. Don't apologize for a group of people who come together and will worship in spirit and in truth. So when I get to his small church of 700 people, I looked at him and said, you and I need to have a conversation about the English language. Because obviously you define the word small very differently than I do. 700 people. But we gathered. It was a tent. It was this huge tent that all 700 could sit under. And we worshiped. It didn't matter that it wasn't a big building. It didn't matter that it was open air. So every truck that went by and every animal that went by, you could hear them. Every couple that walked by that was having an argument, even though it was in a language I didn't understand. How many know you can tell when a couple is arguing? But we worshiped. It was church. True worship is not about a place or a building. True worship is not at its core how it looks or how it sounds. True worship must come from deep within. And it must reveal the truth of what God is deep inside you. A deep desire that we have to be with him. Now, let me address those who might then have the attitude, well, you know what? I'm going to worship God in spirit and in truth, and I don't need anybody. First of all, you're wrong. So let's just put that on the table right now. 
Because when this woman's eyes are opened later in this story and she realized that she had been with the Messiah and she was thrilled and all of a sudden she had the company of Jesus, what did she do? She stayed with him and stayed alone with him? No, she ran and got everybody. She wanted others to share in what she experienced and she wanted the whole village, a village that had probably been looking down on her for years to experience the master's presence. Church, when you get close to Jesus, you're going to want to be with other people who are close to Jesus. When you get close to the Lord, that experience will drive you towards other believers, not away from them. And I still come back to, for all those who rightly look at the times that we're in and say these are the last days, these are the end times, the, one of the great things that is said about the end times as an encouragement and a command for the church, as you see the days approaching, gather more. Not gather less, gather more. But being with Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, as we read last week, as we continue our journey towards the greatest event in human history, Resurrection Sunday, we want to make a special effort to fulfill the desires of our hearts. And that's to be with him. Looking back on the passage we saw in Mark chapter 3, that was his desire. Yeah, he wants to fill his church with power. He wants to fill his church with a witness that will change the world. He wants us to be able to walk into places that are dark and shine a light that just casts out demons and casts out the darkness. But first and foremost, he wants your company. He wants to be with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. He wants to be with you in the garden. You know, looking at that passage in Mark chapter 3, it creates this sober overtone or atmosphere. When you look at the Mount of Transfiguration that we saw two weeks ago, Jesus wanted to bring disciples with him. And what did they do twice? They fell asleep. And then you look at the Garden of Gethsemane, when it's one of his most critical moments as a human being on this planet. And he doesn't want to be alone because he brings the same three people. Now, let's be honest. If you had had a moment where you brought three people who you thought were your closest friends and they fell asleep, you'd probably bring three different people next time. <laughs> but he brought the same ones. Aren't you glad God doesn't give up on you and me? He brought the same three guys. And in being consistent to who they were, they fell asleep again. Twice. Because Jesus wanted them to be with him. And Jesus wants to be with you. But pastor, I'm going through stuff right now, and I'm not the greatest company in the world right now. That's okay to the Lord you serve. He wants to be with you, not just on your good days. He wants to be with you on your bad days. Now, I know none of you here have bad days. Only the church down the street, they have bad days. All of us here have wonderful days. No problems, no issues. It's amazing I was able to finish that statement. But no matter what your day is like, and no matter what your past is like, 
Jesus wants to be with you. He wants to walk with you. He wants to talk with you. As we get closer to Resurrection Sunday, when that being with him is going to bring life-changing power. I want us to stand together and sing that song again in the garden. I'm going to play it. Thank you.